I've moved off of Second Chronicles 7.14, but I have not left the spirit of revival. I believe the spirit of revival is on God's people. I believe it's a personal thing. I believe a little over a year ago, God began to move in on me and clean house. He began to sweep the, <clears throat> the temple. And I believe personally, I've drawn the circle around my own self. And while I'm not perfect, I believe that revival is where I'm choosing to live. But that doesn't mean that everybody will do that. And I hope and pray that we'll understand how important it is to have our life turned over to him and that he's leading and understand that when he is leading, leading as he did the children of Israel, cloud by day, fire by night, that that is revival. When you're being led by God each and every day, I mean, you're doing exactly what God wants you to do for that day and your, your voice is open to him and his voice is hearing you. Well, with that said, maybe some of us fall into Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. The people soon began to complain to the Lord about their hardships. And when the Lord heard them, his anger blazed against them. Fire from the Lord raged among them and destroyed the outskirts of the camp. I believe with all my heart that Jesus knew what he was doing when he came to the earth. Don't you? Well, why did Jesus come? Well, he says here in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, listen. He came to preach the gospel to the poor. He had sent, Jesus was sent by the Father to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance to the captives. You say, Mike, I don't believe I'm a captive. I believe maybe some of you are. And recover of the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty to them that are spiritually bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You see, God's people were in bondage in Numbers 11. They were in Egypt, and they were crying out unto God like we're doing on Monday night. I mean, we have 55, 60 people here been meeting now before fifth Monday night, and we're crying out unto God and saying, God! Getting loud, ain't it? We want you to send us revival. We want to be revived. We want our lives to follow God, cloud by day, fire by night. Is that the way you want to look at it? I mean, I hope that's what you're praying. We're praying for other churches. We're praying for the lost. We're praying for the roaches that move in this building that will move out. I mean, we're, we're praying for a house cleaning. And that's what the people were praying, but then all of a sudden they, they get out and, and God hears the prayer and then they go to grumbling and complaining. Isn't that about like us? In Egypt, according to Exodus 3, 7, the Lord had surely seen the affliction of his people which were in, in, in Egypt and had heard their cry by reason of the taskmasters, for God heard and knew their sorrow. Let's face it, sometimes we grumble and complain. We got a good reason, or at least we think we got a good reason. But what we complain about and what we gripe about, I just want you to know that grumbling and complaining is not a spiritual gift. It's just not. By the way, when you come to church, do you come to church to lie or tell the truth? 
I said, do you come to church to lie or tell the truth? All right? Then I'm going to give you a chance to tell the truth. I asked the earlier crowd, and I'm going to ask you. Do you know without a shadow of a doubt right now, apart from the Holy Spirit being your gift, what is it the Holy Spirit has given you by way of a spiritual gift? Do you know what that is? I'm going to give you a chance to tell me. Do you know what your primary spiritual gift, why God puts you here, why you have, do you know what that is? If you do, raise your hand. Notice, dang, no different than the early service. Only about 5 to 10% know what that is. Y'all said, well, I come to church to be lifted up, not tore down. You come, hopefully, to be challenged by God. And so, that says to me that some of you have some work to do in God's house. You have some work, and God wants to use you, and God wants to to engage you in his ministry, but he can't if you don't know what he's called you to do, if you don't know what your purpose is. Right? This means right. This means no. What part of that is hard to understand? The problem with us is that we grumble and gripe. We grumble because our stake is cold. We grumble because our stake is not the way we ordered it. Am I not preaching to the same crowd I ever? We grumble because you and I didn't get our order right at Wendy's, McDonald's, and Pizza Hut. We grumble because the fish is not salty enough. We grumble because the coleslaw is either too sweet or too dill. We grumble because the bed is either too hard or it's too soft. We grumble because at the movies, it's the lines are too long. The popcorn has too much butter on it. We have, it's too hot to cut grass. The cantaloupes are too big. The sanctuary is not hot enough or it's too cold. Now, let me just remind you of something real quick here. Do you see the line running through this about your grumbling? You are one spoiled cookie. I told him this morning, uh, maybe I'll pronounce it better the second time, in Tegucigalpa, dump. I said it. I get the dump right, but that Tegucigalpa gets messed me up. Several of us were standing in the middle of it, overwhelmed with tears running down and broken on the inside. The same man who wrote the book, Radical stood there, and God radically changed this man who was the pastor of a mega church. What I would love to do is when it looks like you're on the grumbling side of life, is hit a button like bewitched, click my heels, and all of a sudden we're right in the middle of the dump, every one of us. And then automatically, because you'd go to grumbling so quick, you couldn't take it. Click my heels and get you back here quick. And then the ones that won't shut up, I'm going to click them again and leave you in that dump. (laughs) Till you get it right. Psalms 105. 
Verse 26 said, God sent Moses and Aaron, whom God had chosen to bring God's people out of the Egyptian bondage and lead them into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. But when God's people, from the time they left Egypt to the time they got to the Red Sea, they were complaining. They were grumbling. Listen to what they said. Then the people turned against Moses and complained, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Why did you make us leave? Didn't we tell you to leave us alone? Didn't we tell you that we wanted to stay in Egypt? Our Egyptian slavery is far better than dying here in the wilderness. You know what they're saying? They forgot that they just prayed. Now, I'm going to warn y'all something. This is a pre-message for if God corporately sends revival to this place. Some of you are going to go complaining, belly aching, griping. I'm going to tell you now. Well, I just think it's too crowded in this church. Well, then find one that ain't crowded. There's plenty of those out there. But there ain't many of them out there desiring revival. There's a few, but not many. Oh, yeah, you can go in a lot of churches and not get this kind of preaching because they're afraid they will hurt your feelings. And by the way, I ain't through yet. I warned y'all about a month ago that I was going to start getting in your face. Did I not warn y'all that? I, I just wanted to tell you. Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand where you are. Watch the Lord rescue you. The Egyptians that you see today will not be seen tomorrow. Your fear is fixing to fade away forever. What, have you, what kind of fear have you brought in the house today with you? The Lord himself will fight for you. You won't even have to lift a finger in your defense. Now, he's speaking to the children of Israel at the edge of the Red Sea. They turn around, and the enemy is hot on their trail. Moses is wiggling a little bit. Dear God, help me out here now. You, you, you got me out here on the showpiece. You got to tell me what to do. <laughs> all of a sudden, God speaks to Moses. Moses did what he know, knew to do. And all of a sudden, everything happened just like God said it would. And the people were cheering. And the people were shouting for about three seconds. And what happened? They went back to complaining and grumbling. God, why have you allowed Moses to lead us out here to talk us out of leaving Egypt? And now we don't have any water. And now we don't have any manna, food. And now we, don't, we need some meat. I mean, come on. Isn't that what it says? That sounds like us. God was leading his people, Moses, or Moses was leading God's people, cloud by day, fire by night. I, know, I don't know of a better definition of revival taking place in a person's life that they're letting God lead them like that. But I just want you to know, you can be led by God and not be where you need 
to be. Now, I'm not a theologian, neither have, been, neither have I not been to Israel to see what they tell me is true. But they tell me that this trip from Egypt to the promised land is an 11-day trip. Straight out walk, 11 days. Well, then why did it take them 40 years? You know, I'm a personal... I just believe that sometimes we, we just like to prolong things because we can't get it right. God's done told us how to get it right. He's done told us what to do on the inside, but you won't do it. And, and what I know about God is he, he'll be patient with you, but buddy, listen to me. It ain't going to be easy. It's a whole lot easier to let the Lord fight your battle. What had kept them from being successful? What was it that kept them in a long trip that should have been short but came long? I believe it's the same thing that kept them from going into the promised land and taking it because when they went in and sent the 12 spies, the Bible said they sent them back and said, we ain't going in. Took a Baptist vote, 10 to 2. Isn't that right? The only two that had vision, the only two that, that thought they were to go was the two that went. <laughs> Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses didn't go. He didn't make it. I'll tell you why I think that they didn't go in. It didn't have anything to do with their circumstances. It didn't have anything to do with their enemies. It had to do with their attitude toward the enemy. It had to do with their attitude toward the circumstance. Listen to this verse. First Thessalonians 5, 18 says, No matter what happens. You didn't hear that, did you? You could not quote what I just said. So I'm going to say it again. No matter what happens. Did y'all get it that time? For you that are really slow, I'm going to say it one more time. No matter what happens. Y'all got it now. Say amen. amen. Thank you. I sure preach in one verse a slow way, but I got you with me. Always. Say always. Always. Now, does that mean some of the time? Nope. That means all the time. So, no matter what happens, always be thankful. Hey, some of you all done grumbled already about the rain today. You're grumbling because we don't have. Somebody hit me out going out the door. Well, preacher, could you go get your umbrella and do like the ushers and get us in here dry? I said, no, I don't want to get wet. <laughs> oh, Lord. Whether you're a leader, whether you're a follower of Jesus, we, can, we, I believe, can identify with Moses by, first of all, seeing the problems that Mo, Moses pondered. The first problem that we see that Moses pondered involved people. Look at verses 1 through 3. We already read verse 1. Listen to verse 2. The people screamed to Moses for help, and when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. And after that, the area was known as Tibera, the place of the burning, because the fire from the Lord had burned among them there. Everywhere you go... 
we can have and we normally do when it involves more than one person, people problems. I like what someone said. They said, to live above with saints we love, oh, won't that be glory. But to love below the saints we know, well, now, brother, that's another story. You know what? Some of you are called by God not to get along with anybody. And you know that's just as much a joke as crumbling, a grumbling, not crumbling. But grumbling is not a spiritual gift. Mike, what is the threefold plan, plan the way I should deal with others? One, Jesus expects us to love people. Love people. Not shoot them, love them. Boy, Jesus had to face that in a, in a, in a very difficult way. You know, the, <clears throat> some of you, we haven't thrown this on you very hot and heavy, but, you know, we're called to be disciples and make disciples. Amen? Do you know what Jesus said in Luke, 10, Luke 14, 23? He said, to be my disciple, you must love me more than you love your father, the more, you, more than me than you love your mother, your wife, your husband, and your children. That's a lot of love. But that same love is carried off and flipped back on us. We also are to love other people. And, and, and we've got this bad problem, and I'm telling you in advance, that if somebody don't do what I, like I think they ought to do, we just cut them loose in love. And I'm telling you, you're sinning. Not only should you love them, but you need to forgive them. Forgive who? Forgive those who despitefully use you. For, forgive those who hate you and don't like you. And those that you don't like, you're still obligated to forgive. You forgive everything and all people, whether you want to or not. And when you don't forgive them, all you do is... All you're doing is putting yourself in a prison cell of emotions, which leads to bitterness, anger, resentment, frustration, and on it goes. You can't walk in freedom if you don't forgive. And then ultimately, pray for them. Pray that God will change their heart. Pray that God will hear you. Pray that there will be renewal come and revival will come and people will be changed. And so, look, you know what our human society really needs to see? They see enough phony preaching. They, need us. they see enough phony preachers. They see enough godly people saying, I'm godly and living and ungodly before them. What they need to see is the real deal. They need to see some of you stand up and quit living the life of a hypocrite. Quit, be, quit living hypocrisy. Someone said, as a preacher said, you bunch of hypocrisies, you just need to get right. Was he wrong? He might have said it wrong, but was he wrong? No. He said, you bunch of white sea puckers, you need... He might have said it wrong, but was he wrong, Sheldon? No, he wasn't wrong. We look like white sepulchers. Temp we look like tombs that are not clean. What we say with our lips, we don't glorify God with our heart. That's the problem. We're phony. Boy, when you get in a situation like this with Moses, <laughs> I got news for you, my friend. You don't live a phony life in the wilderness. 
you get right and take or take flight. He was dealing not only with people problems but provision problems. My goodness, he, he was the leader of two million people. I think about that and I go, it kind of reminds me when we stood in Honduras on the top of this mountain next to a statue of Jesus and you look to the left, to the right, to the west, to the east and they tell me that what lives in that part of the country is two million people. That's a lot of folk. That's a lot of territory. But yet that was the call of Moses. And Aaron on their life was to get those people. What were they griping about? The provision of God. Listen to me. They were so sick and tired of manna, they wouldn't even pray for it. God sent it in on the dew. He sent it in the morning. He said, now pick up what you need. I'm providing you a meal. Now, I know Jack's heard this before. People come to the food building thinking they're going to get a T-bone steak and a baked potato and a, a salad for, for eight bucks. I can't find that out in the, in the world. And they ain't got a dollar on them. Give them a, a, a good box of, of good stuff that they wouldn't starve to death. And by the way, none of these people were starving in God's. And they throw it out here in the dumpster and grumble off the parking lot do you think that they were hungry do you really think and you say well do you get a steady diet thank god no we don't get a steady diet but there's always somebody and some of you god has blessed you he's given you everything you could possibly need or want and by golly if you're not careful you're grumbling under your breath about what he's given or what you don't have. Some of you don't have what others have because God can't trust you. You better hear that. Because the Bible says when you're faithful in the small things, I'll make you ruler and I'll give you more things. But if you can't handle the small things, forget it. I'm not going to make you a leader over larger things, and you grumble and gripe and complain because you've got to come to church or you got to give. Man, we're messed up. He, had a, he also had a personal problem himself. He got into displeasure. Look at verse 10. Moses heard all the family and all the people standing in front of their tents weeping, and the Lord became extremely angry, and Moses also got aggravated. <laughs> he said, I'm aggravated too, God. I'm tired of this bunch of knotheads. If you don't think that's not what he's saying, you can't read the Bible with understanding. Okay. <laughs> Moses' prayer Involved in verses 11 and 12. Listen to it. If you can't hear this, I, I worry about you. Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, God, your servant, so miserably? Why did I do the, what did I do to deserve the burden of this people like this? Are they my children? 
Am I their father? Man, he done got to grumbling. He's the leader. He grumbling. The second thing we see is not only what Moses, the people problem he faced, but the prayer Moses prayed. He was praying in light of confusion. He said, God, these are your people. I didn't, I didn't have them. I didn't create them. I didn't make them. God said, yes, they are my people. And I love my people. And I'm going to take care of my people. But the right question is not why, Lord, am I going through this difficulty? I have, as a pastor, I have people come to me all the time. My, why am I going through this difficult time? I don't know. You answer it. <laughs> what are you doing in your life? I don't know what you're doing in your life. I know why I face the difficulty I face. And sometimes, and most of the time, it's because I'm not doing what I ought to be doing. And I have learned, and, and you better learn the same thing. That when you allow your problems that you face become larger than the God we serve, we got a problem. You and I can't see, and that's why Jesus said, hey, I come to, I come to help the blind see and set the captives free. The Bible quickly tells us that you and I should expect trouble in John 16, 33. And Job went on to say in 14, 1, that when you're living your life for God, it's not going to be trouble free. I can't pray, pray, I can't preach, name it, claim it, have it, and grab it. I believe we need to have a good attitude. I, need, I believe we need to believe. I believe we need to have faith. And some of you don't have because you're sitting over here getting exactly what you're grumbling about. But living for Jesus was never meant to be easy. That's why it takes him to help you to live it and to do what you and I need to do. His prayer was also a prayer of confession. He confessed. He said, Lord, there's two million people killing me. Evidently, he hadn't learned from Paul that teaches us in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, that we should rejoice in our difficulty because God knows that we have a weakness, and our weaknesses opens the power of God in our life to make us strong. You see, it's in our weaknesses that God can show himself in a wonderful way. You see, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. If you don't believe it, then throw your Bible away. Look what, listen to what Mo, uh, Moses said in verse 15. God, I'd just rather you kill me than treat me like this. <laughs> Please spare, spare me the misery. What was he saying? I believe he, was, he prayed a prayer of capitulation. What's that mean? It's called the white flag syndrome. Y'all ever, y'all ever, been, ever watched a Civil War movie? Or you ever watched a... Uh, uh, American German movie, and they 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 bring up the white flag. <laughs> That's supposed to make them not shoot at you. I guarantee, if I held up the white flag, I'd get plastered. The white flag is saying, "I've had enough, God. I'm 
in a mess. And if this mess don't get straightened out, God, you just take me on out here. Now, don't tell me you ain't never felt that way in some area of your life. It could be a troubled teenager. It could be a troubled wife or husband. It could be a, all, all kind of trouble. I mean, you could be cutting loose from your job and financing. You're just in a mess. God doesn't do something. You're ready to raise the white flag. Don't you quit on God. You think bad things are bad now? You quit on God and see what happens. You have his favor or hand a blessing on you, remove, ooh, that wouldn't be no fun. Well, we see the problems Moses pondered in the prayer that Moses prayed. Look at all the price Moses prayed. Look at verse 16 and 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Summon before me 70 of the elders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. And I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put that spirit on them. And they will bear the burden of people along with you, so they will not have to tear, uh, carry it a long way. Look at verse 25. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses. He took some of the spirit that was upon Moses and put it on the 70 leaders. <clears throat> Moses put it upon the, or Moses, and put it upon the 70 leaders. They prophesied as the Spirit rested upon him, but this was the only time this happened. Now, the difference between what was happening in the Spirit and Moses and that what happens to you and I is that when we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. And thank God the Holy Spirit, I believe, stays there with you. But Moses came to a point in his life that he realized he couldn't do it by himself. Can I, can I say something to y'all real quick? If God were to duplicate us, this would be so cool. If God were to duplicate us today, he would take roughly the four or 500 that show up and we would be a thousand. If a thousand people were coming to this campus, some of you would be such a grumbler. You would be trying to figure out how you're going to work all these deals out. You know what? Moses already had the formula to work out his problem, and it was called the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, God took some of the Spirit that was on Moses to spread it to the 70 people to help him. There's nothing wrong with spreading it to godly people, to godly leaders who will listen to God and obey God. I have no problem with that. But understand, we, we can read all the books we want to read about church growth. We can read all the theological books that we want to about God. But God is still God. He's the same God. And when He gives you the Holy Spirit, He gives you everything you need to be taught, to learn, to listen, to be called, to serve. The problem is we don't listen. We want to blame it on everything else. And Moses did that, and it showed in his controversy. It showed in his inward stroke. Now, again, <laughs> with this 500, and we duplicated to 1,000, but 2 million people, that would be like trying to reach one church, trying to reach the whole country around to Goosegapa. Can it be done? Oh, yeah. 
but it won't be done with grumbling complaining. It won't be done with the attitude, it just can't be done. Maybe with you, you're right, but not God. I like what in closing, what Jesus or Paul told us, taught us in Philippians 3, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And he said that there's a prize that is worth working for and it's worth carrying the cross for. Jesus said, whoever shall save, save his life shall lose it and whoever shall lose his life for my sake will find it. One day Jesus was preaching to Peter and the Lord, he said, we've left everything to follow you. We have, uh, what, what, what will you do for us? <laughs> Isn't that just how we look at it? What you gonna do for me, God? I like what Jesus said. Jesus basically said in all that he taught, Peter, no man who's ever forsaken his father or mother or houses or land or possessions for my sake in the gospel will receive, will not receive a hundredfold in this lifetime and the lifetime to come. Jesus is smarter than that. Most of you that followed basketball years ago knew Pete Maravich, right? Who all knows Pete Maravich? Okay, some of you. Pete Maravich was probably one of the better, and Larry, I think it was Larry Bird. Those dudes, they amazed me with basketball and a hoop. They just amazed me. Pete Maravich stood before a crowd in the Billy Graham Crusade in Columbia, South Carolina, and he told those who were in the stand, he said, I would not trade my soon induction to the Hall of Fame. I wouldn't trade a thousand NBA championship rings. I wouldn't trade a hundred billion dollars for the position I have in Jesus Christ. A few days after that, he was shooting hoops in 1988 with one of his friends in the backyard just casually <clears throat> shooting basketball, killed over with pain in his chest, and he died. I can't help but believe that as he stood before Jesus in the presence of God, Pete Maravich was glad that he was more than a basketball player. I believe that he was glad that he had more than a life of awards. I believe that he was glad that he had more than human recognition. He was glad because his life represented more than himself in basketball. It represented Jesus Christ. It represented him following him and becoming a person that God wanted him to be and knowing what God wanted him to do. One day God's going to have his graduation and God's going to give out his prize and what a day that's going to be for you and me. If you're willing to take up your cross and follow him daily and become the disciple he's called you to be, you and me to be, I promise you, be a great day for you. But what's the simple thing going on now? More than seven-eighths of this crowd could not raise their hand if they knew what their spiritual gift is. You know what that's saying? This church is handicapped because God sent you here for a reason. He sent you here for a purpose. He sent you here with a passion. 
Not to serve me, but to serve God. And if you don't know what your giftedness, giftedness is, you don't understand what it is God's put you here in this church for. It, it's probably a good reason why you're not accomplishing what God's put you on this earth to do. And listen to me. Don't you think you're not going to stand before Jesus and give account for it? Because what he gives, he also honors you, but he also demands. He, he will demand an action out of us as he looks at us at the judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to say, what did you do, preacher Mike, when I gave you that opportunity and the gift to preach, to teach, or to, to whatever? If you don't know what it is, my friend, you have a lot to be praying about as God sends revival your way. Would